Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny will be interviewing Brooke Castillo, and she is the founder of the Life Coach School and creator of the Life Coach School podcast. And the two of them will be chatting about her inspiring story and living as an example of what is possible. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, attorney turned life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan. We're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers who are on a mission to encourage you, inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access the show archives at 1150kknw.com. And I invite you to connect with me via Facebook, and I have a page there for the show, Sunny in Seattle Radio. And if you follow that page, you will be able to see who's upcoming on the show and see our guests on any given week. And you can also connect with me for coaching or find out more about my practice at goldenoversoul.com. That is goldenoversoul.com. Um, so we're going to jump right into today's interview. I'm really excited to bring you this amazing guest. Um, she's been on my list to get on the show for a while, um, and I'm so excited to have her here today. Her name is Brooke Castillo. Uh, She is a partner in the Life Coach School, the creator of the Life Coach School podcast, which is a regular favorite of mine. Um, She gets tons and tons of downloads there, and they are these most amazing, um, really approachable, bite-sized pieces of wisdom that she shares. And I really highly encourage you guys to find the Life Coach School podcast there. Um, I access it on iTunes. Uh, And she's also the author of several books, um, and she's also a Master Coach Weight and Life Instructor. Brooke is passionate about living as an example about what is possible. She provides teaching, coaching, and training through the podcast, Life Coach Training, and her coaching program, Self-Coaching Scholars. Um, so, Brooke, one of the things that, um, and actually, let me give you guys the uh, the website. So if you guys want to check out her work while we're on the show today, you can do that. The website is thelifecoachschool.com, thelifecoachschool.com. And you can also find her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So, Brooke, welcome to the show. Oh, my goodness. That was a fun intro. (laughs) (laughs) I've done a lot of stuff. I totally forgot all that stuff that I've done. No, I'm super happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. And so I just have to say for our listeners, you know, this has been a long time in coming. Um, When I went to life coach training school, of course, most of my listeners know I um, went with Dr. Martha Beck, and um, Mm -hmm. she was one of the catalysts for writing that took me out of my old life as an attorney, my marriage, all of those things. And your name was always around. I think you'd already started your own thing, but um, you were always a bit of a living legend there at Martha Beck's training school. Mm. And um, I used your materials um, uh, to start my coaching practice. Um, and, And then, of course, I've followed you since that time. And I'm just curious, you know, Brooke, because I'd like our listeners to know a little bit about who you are the trajectory mm-hmm. of your career. So maybe what you do now, and, I'm, and I've got some questions about how you ended up there from all of the things I know about you. How I ended up where I am now or yeah. how I ended up with Martha? Well, actually, I'd love to hear from the beginning because, I mean, of all the podcasts sure. I've listened to and things, I've never actually heard how you connected with Martha and then how you ended up doing your own thing. And I think you were even with HP before you were a life coach. Yeah, so Totally. Yeah. Um, sure. So I um, always was obsessed with self-help from the age of like 15. I was always reading self-help books. I'd love self-help books. And I remember I got a hold of, um, oh, you know what it was is I was watching Oprah 
And Martha was on Oprah and she talked about being a life coach. And I was like, what? You can do self-help for a living. I was like so excited. I immediately ran to the, um, the website, Martha's website and signed up immediately. It was like a two day program. It was happening in like three months. I signed up immediately and read every single one of her books. And I'll tell you, like when I read her books, I knew, I knew I had like come home. I really felt like, oh yes, this is the beginning of my new life. I, I was thrilled with the idea that, um, Martha, even though she was really highly educated in, you know, she'd been Harvard educated and all of that, she, what she spoke of and what she was doing in the world wasn't about, you know, her college education. It was all just about helping people. And so I had had a psychology degree and I thought that I would probably be a psychologist at some point, but I was really turned off by, um, <clears throat> kind of what was presented to me in college was that basically you're working with dysfunctional people all of the time. And Martha kind of introduced me to the idea that <clears throat> we could work with people that were highly functioning, but just wanted even better lives. And so I went to her training. It was so crazy because she had just released her book, um, leaving the saints, mm -hmm. which, um, she got a lot of backlash for yeah. because it was all about her experience of being Mormon. And, and, you know, a lot of the Mormon community didn't like that she was telling this in, in the book the way she was. And so there were like six of us at this training. So it was like magic. It was just like, I had Martha all to myself. <laughs> it was like so awesome. And you know, Martha is just such a spectacular human being and so fun and funny. And just being in her presence, knowing that like, this is what I want to do. And she taught me the work of Byron Katie, which was completely life altering. And, um, so I became a coach and started coaching immediately after going through my two day training, <laughs> I was thrown out into the world. And, you know, I became a life coach like 15 years ago. People asked me what sport I was coaching. Nobody <laughs> really knew what life coaching was. And, um, I didn't care. I loved it so much. I was out there just like asking anyone and everyone to coach with me. I built up a coaching practice. I wrote a book and then, um, I reached out to Martha after the afterwards and she was going out on her own to, um, she had had a partner and she was going out on her own. And I said, Oh, you should let me come help you. And I did. And I went and worked for her for, I think it was a couple of years. I helped her build her online business. She had been doing everything in person. So that's probably why you knew about me. I'd worked there for, uh, quite a bit of time. And I, you know, I have so much respect for Martha and everything that she taught me. And then, uh, you know, I decided I wanted to, you know, not help her build her business, but go help myself build mine. And so ever since then, I've just been focused on the life coach school and building up my own, my own, uh, kind of empire over here. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly, I mean, that really is what it is. And that's one of my other questions I wanted to ask you about is, you know, there are people who might've stayed with Martha for a lifetime. And, and as you said, you wanted to build something that was your own, but I mean, Brooke, mm -hmm. you haven't just built something. Like one of the things that I love about you is that you talk a lot about, um, you know, your mission being to show what is possible. And I've heard you talk about in the last several years, you know, the choosing to believe in the impossible. And so mm -hmm. I would love for our listeners to know, you know, these thresholds that you have continued to cross, you know, the 1 million, the 10 million, and now I understand you're working on a hundred million dollar business. Yes. Yeah. Can you mm -hmm. speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I love talking about money. I think that it's one of those things we don't talk enough about, especially as women. I think that, um, you know, if you're running a software company and you're getting venture capital, then it's okay to talk about how much money you're making. Right. But if you're, you know, a solo entrepreneur woman out here in the world, I, I just, I feel like a lot of us don't 
talk about it enough. And I have to say, um, one of my mentors, Amy Porterfield, she is a business coach and she talked a lot about when she made her first million dollars. And I remember being so grateful to her for talking about money because I felt so empowered by the idea that you could be a one woman show online and making a million dollars. And so I decided that there was no reason why I couldn't make a million dollars. And there's a lot of, um, I let's say opinion in our coaching <laughs> industry that you can only really make money if you're helping people make money. Right. And yes. so it was easy for Amy Porterfield cause she's out there teaching people to, to um, build their businesses. And I always thought that was so ridiculous. I'm like, there are so many clients that want coaching and need coaching for you to say that like, you can't build a business helping the world, literally who doesn't need coaching. That's insane. So I decided to start a program called self-coaching scholars. That's just for clients. It's not for training coaches. It's just for coaching clients. And, um, that was really, I w I had already built up just in my one-to-one coaching and one-to-group coaching to a million dollars. Actually, I think I, I, I built that up to $2 million. But once I started self-coaching scholars, that's when I was really able to serve the most amount of people. And we've just been building like crazy ever since then. And I had a goal uh, about four years ago to 10X. So I had been making a million dollars in my business. And I remember one of my mentors had told me, uh, Dan Sullivan, he had told me it's easier to 10 X your business than it is to two X your business. And I thought that was so fascinating. He said, if you want to double your business, it's very tempting to just do whatever you're doing harder and faster and more exhaustingly. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> right. But to 10 X it, you have to think in a whole new way. And so I decided that I wanted to try that out. I wanted to see what would it take? How would I have to think? Who would I have to be to to accomplish that impossible dream of, you know, building a business worth $10 million. That just seemed outrageous. It seemed like such a huge amount of money to me. And the truth is I really had to change. I had to kind of like discontinue the person that I had been being to become the person that could create, you know, this, this business for myself. And so, um, how did you do I that? Did, <laughs> I did that. I did that. And, and here's the big changes that I had to make. I had to think in terms of, um, hiring a team, which, you know, one of the things that a lot of people don't talk about is the transition from, you know, being a solopreneur and getting to the point where you you're doing everything yourself to then transitioning to hiring an employee and hiring employees and having a team is excruciating for a solo solo entrepreneur because, and the way I like to describe it is we're hunters, right? We want to go out there and, you know, hunt and yeah. drag the food home. That's an entrepreneur is someone that's like, Hey, we're quick starts. We just want to go and take care of business. Yeah. And the, the transition from that into being, um, you know, someone that's managing a team is really transitioning from being a hunter into a farmer and, really tilling the soil and being patient, waiting for things to grow and, you know, being kind and talking to people in a slow fashion that they can actually understand what you're saying. And so I have to tell you, like that transition was really challenging for me. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of um, business owners don't make that transition because it really does require you to do a completely different job. So I would say um, transitioning between being just a solopreneur to being really a genuine entrepreneur and having a team 
uh, was the first step. And the second step is just getting my marketing dialed in. Um, my marketing has always been about serving people for free up front. And, um, that has been my main focus, giving people what my coach calls giving people results ahead of time, really helping them before they pay you. And I feel like we really dialed that in, um, really well to be able to 10 X our business. So, yeah, so we got to, um, we've gotten to, uh, 10 million this year, we'll probably finish up the year at 15 million. And then my goal within the next 10 years is a hundred million. And I have no doubt we're going to get there, which is crazy exciting, right? Yes, Love it, it. it is. And one of the things that I really, I wanted to talk to you about also, because our listenership here is very spiritual. And I would say mm-hmm. most of the people who will hear this are very familiar with Abraham Hicks and the law of attraction. Yes. Yeah. And, and I really, I would love for you to speak a little bit about, um, you know, how, how you've said in the past, you know, you have to be the person you think mm-hmm. that you'll be when you hit that 10 million mark or when you now will hit this hundred million dollar mark. And yes. I'm just curious, you know, when you're not there yet, how do you align with something that you don't yet have? Yeah, I love it. So Abraham Hicks, I'm just a huge fan. I used to study and listen to them all day, every day. I was like binging on them. And one of the things that I used to do when I was studying with them is I used to imagine what it would be like to find out that you just won the lottery. And I used to practice being a person who had just won a hundred million dollars in the lottery. And what's funny about that is that was the, um, the ball, the, whatever the ball is called in California. Like that was the, the, um, the winning amount was like a hundred million. So I think it's fascinating that that's now my number, but I used to imagine what it would be like when someone told you, Hey, you've won, you've won a hundred million dollars because there's a big difference between wanting something and thinking the thoughts that you need to think in order to take action to get there versus being there already in your mind and experiencing it as if it's already true. And that's what Abraham Hicks taught me is how to be somewhere all before you're there, right? To experience it mentally and emotionally before you actually have manifested it. And so that was that real turning point for me was understanding that our vibration, right? Our feeling is what attracts to us. So if we're in the feeling of anticipating something or of wanting something, what we're creating is nothing (laughs) 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 because we don't have it yet. But if you're in the feeling of having it, of being it, of experiencing it, that's when you actually attract it. And it's, they teach it so beautifully, but I think it's difficult to, it's a a simple concept, but it's so difficult to understand. And so I started to imagine like whenever anyone would win the lottery, I tried to identify that experience that it would be and what you would feel. And like, you know, the experience of knowing that, you've had that much money and then spending it. Like what would I immediately think about spending and what would I want to save and what would I want to do? And so I would walk around kind of being the person that had just, you know, come into all of this money. And what I realized is that when you're someone that has already received it, like you're already in the presence of it, your thoughts are completely different than when you're wanting it, anticipating it and trying to create it. And so for me, that was a a big shift because I thought differently and I felt differently when I wanted something versus 
having it. So one of the things that I decided to do, and I, I teach this to my students too, is practicing having what you already have. So for example, I want to be married and I am married to my husband, Chris. And so what is it like to want and be in the presence of already having it is very similar to the work that I'm doing right now where I am being someone who has already made a hundred million dollars. And I talk about a hundred million dollars all of the time. I live in the presence. I'm like, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? How I make decisions from that place. And it's very different than, um, the experience of wanting it. I do not indulge in, well, how am I going to do that? Well, that's going to be hard. I need to figure out how to do it. As soon as I drop into the how of it, I completely push it away and I stop attracting it. As soon as I land in, I already have it. Then I get the, all the ideas and all the wisdom and all the attraction starts happening. Yes. Okay. So I have to ask you, like you strike me, even though it's not something that you talk a lot about on the podcast, but I, it, it you strike me as someone who's pretty spiritual. Would that yeah, be? yeah. Okay. So then I have a question about this, the, the idea around the law of attraction and something I love to ask various guests this, and you've been one I've been wanting to ask. So I, my cosmology is kind of uh, along the lines of, you know, we come in here as a soul, we come here to experience different things. So what if the thing that you are wanting, let's say the $100 million, isn't aligned with what your soul wanted when it came in? Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Like, mm -hmm. the, let's say your soul has more of the potentials in the agenda that it came here to learn. Is mm -hmm. just the sheer force of law of attraction and wanting it in human form going to make it happen? Or is there an interplay between the soul desires and the human desires while we're here? So um, I think that's such a fantastic question. And um, my answer is that the, the soul's desire is always accomplished, but the human gets to decide in what format that is. Hmm. So I think that um, I can achieve my soul's desires striving for a hundred million dollars in my own business or building a charity in Africa or being a third grade teacher. I think mm. that, and this is just the way that I want to evolve myself. I think the soul's purpose really is to, um, kind of live the purpose of evolvement and becoming more of who we, we genuinely are as humans reflective of our soul. So for me, I want my, the human part of me wants to do it not because I need a hundred million dollars. And let's just talk about that for just a little side note. Mm -hmm. There gets a point where like you can't, there's nothing else to buy. <laughs> it's really true. And you're just kind of like, okay, th there's nothing else I want to buy. I, I have enough money to buy anything I want. I don't want to buy anything else. It's not about the money ever. It's about what, why do we limit our own mind mm -hmm. to a certain amount of money? And that's such a mental human construct, right? And yet what it requires me to do to kind of, if anything's possible, which I think is, you know, with your terminology, with my soul, I think anything is possible. Mm -hmm. The only thing that limits me is my human mind. Mm -hmm. So I like to blow my human mind completely <laughs> out of the water because then I can't rely on it to get anything done. I have to rely on my spirituality to get it done. And that's when mm -hmm. I think life is the most aligned and the most fun, because if I can rely on my human brain to do it, it's not asking enough of me when I have to rely on something deeper, like a deeper sort of faith to be able to accomplish something, that's when all the magic happens. Okay. Like, and then you get there and you're kind of like, 
this is so amazing. How did we do this? But then on some level, you're like, yeah, this was always what we were going to do. Yes. Okay. So I couldn't agree. I love the way that you put that and I couldn't agree with it more. But then the question becomes, and this is, I think what you do so beautifully is what do we do with the human mind component that's constantly going a hundred million dollars? Are you freaking crazy? That can't happen. What, what do you do in your own life and with your students to address that? Well, I mean, isn't that the best question because you're the only answer is you either argue with it or you just rely on your soul's knowing. And I kind of feel like our brain, the way that I describe it, it's like a toddler with a knife. It's like totally innocent, but it's probably going to hurt someone. (laughs) (laughs) Namely us, right? It's like, it, it wants us to survive and it wants to look for danger and it wants us to stay in the cave and be safe. And I understand why my brain is like that. That's how I got to this point, but I also understand that my human brain is very limited and the part of my brain that witness or the part of myself that witnesses my human brain is not limited. And when the brain is freaking out, we have to go to that watcher place. We have to go to the place that is beyond the human brain. And the more we ask that of ourselves, the more magical our life becomes. So a lot of people will say, well, I don't want to set a goal of making a million dollars because it makes me uncomfortable. Mm. But the more uncomfortable it makes, the more uncomfortable it makes you, the more determined you are to go to the part of you that isn't uncomfortable by greatness, right? And that I think that is the bigger part of us. And so, the bigger my goals are, the less time I spend in my brain. Can we just be honest? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's the that's the ticket because if you're only dealing within the human construct of the brain, you're always going to be in survival mode because that's how your brain is designed to keep you surviving. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, and talking about money, this was another thing that I wanted to ask you is I love your philosophy around money. Um, Mm -hmm. And the way I'm going to just say what I think that I've heard you say before, and I'd love for you to elaborate that basically money is not limited by time. Value, Mm -hmm. not time creates money. Mm -hmm. Value is created in our minds. And so our Mm -hmm. minds can be the ones that create the money, not the time. Okay. So that is a totally different philosophy than most people out there who equate dollars and hours. Yes. So can you speak a little bit? Because I I also loved, given your personal story about your mom's psyche around inheritance, and Mm -hmm. then you never wanting to be dependent on money. I just, I loved that. Do you mind speaking to all of this a little bit? Yes. And, you know, this kind of goes back to me talking about winning the lottery. And I say this Mm -hmm. to my students all the time, as I just say, would you rather earn the money or would you rather win the lottery? (laughs) And they, they spend some time really thinking about this. And what I say about, I'm like, if you win it, chances of you winning it again are no good. If you earn it, chances of you earning it again are even better than you earning it the first time. So I love to know that my value and my, the value that I create is something that I create with my mind and that I can, you can take away all my money right now. Mm -hmm. I have so much freedom around it. Right. So you can take away all my money right now and I'll just make it again. And that's when you can come from a place of abundance. When you start clinging to the money that you have, it's almost like you suffocate it and you can't really get any more. And it's really interesting now to kind of see that whole trajectory with my mom and where she is financially and where I am financially now based on me earning it and based on her, like, and I want to give her all the credit that is due to her because she has protected and taken such good care of her own money, Mm -hmm. but there's no growth there. And so that's where I think when we, when we work with our students to get to a, 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 cause I teach, um, 
people how to be coaches. Mm -hmm. And when I get, when I teach them to get to a hundred thousand dollars a year, it's all about hustle and putting mm-hmm. the time in, right? Mm-hmm. But once you want to go to a million dollars and especially beyond a million dollars, you can't do that with hustle, right? It has to be because there's not enough hours in the day to make $5 million. There's just not. You can't work that many hours to make that much money unless you're charging, you know, it, it's really hard to sell a coaching session for $100,000 an hour. <laughs> Right. So then you have to kind of decide, okay, how do I create value in a way that serves the most amount of people? And I want to say that I think when your relationship with money is open and loving and free, money wants, I like to think about it this way, money wants to flow to you that we all have money that's just waiting like, don't you love the way Abraham Hicks talks about it? It's just yes. an escrow. Yes. <laughs> it's just an escrow, escrow waiting for us. It's our <laughs> money. You know, we just get to claim it. And if we don't claim it, nobody claims it. Yeah. It just sits there. It's not like you're taking it away from somebody else. It's just sitting there not being utilized. And um, I, I, so many of us are so messed up around money because we're trained that dollars equal minutes, really. Yeah. And, um, And so breaking that pattern and blowing our own mind on what is possible in terms of our own personal income, I think is, is one of the ways it's not the only way, but it's one of the ways that we can really test out our own, really our own spirituality and how powerful that bigger part of us truly is in this world that can just be a playground. Yes. Yeah, and to stay tapped into that, that's another thing that, that makes me think of. Um, you've talked a lot about, um, you, you used to teach um, the, weight, the weight school, I think, was the, well, your yeah, first. Uh-huh. Yeah, Okay, and so yep. you've taught women how to stop overeating, stop overdrinking, and then in your own life, you've talked about these things, and now my understanding is you don't drink anymore. No, yeah. not at all. And so I'm curious because I've been wrestling with this decision myself and I've noticed that in order to stay tapped in, tuned in, turned on, like where I'm connected to source, where I can get my mind out of the way, where I'm feeling energized and inspired, it's when I don't overeat. It's when I don't mm-hmm. overdrink. It's when I'm, my, my body is clean, my mind is clean, and it's like that unfettered connection to the divine. And yeah. I'm curious, is that how, what your experience has been? Is that why you ultimately quit drinking completely or... Yeah. You know, I, I love this topic when we're talking about law of attraction and when we're talking, cause you know, when you listen to Abraham talk about this, yeah, they really say that if you need to utilize drugs or utilize alcohol in order to get aligned, they don't have a problem with that. They, they actually, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And so for a long time I was thinking, yeah, it really helps me get into alignment. And what I realized is that the, I had to ask myself, what is the reason I'm drinking? Mm-hmm. What is the reason? Like, and do I like my reason? And that's what I like to ask about all the things that I do. Like, why am I doing this? And do I like my reason? Mm-hmm. And the reason I was drinking was to avoid emotion. I didn't want to experience, um, frustration. I didn't want to experience the aggravation and just like the exhaustion from the day. I didn't want to experience the boredom, all of that. And, you know, according to Abraham, that would be encouraged, right? Get yourself aligned with positive emotion. But what I realized is that by thinking about negative emotion in that way and the contrast, the way that they, you know, in their terminology, they would call contrast, thinking of it as this negative thing that I needed to avoid was actually taking me out of the vortex, right? Mm. So it was making it so I wasn't open to the experience of being human. I wasn't open to all of the contrast 
without a negative judgment about it. So now sometimes I'll feel in the evening, I'll feel agitated or hormonal or aggravated. And that's the time when I used to have a glass of Chardonnay Mm -hmm. or when I would go out with my friends, right. And they would all be having one. And what I realized is like, but what if I looked at all those emotions that happen as just part of the experience and increased my capacity to experience all of it without any kind of, you know, kind of mind altering substance. And the reason why I don't like a mind altering substance is then you're reliant on that external thing. And I'd much rather, I wanted to figure out a way, how can I feel, what is better than Chardonnay? How can I feel better without relying on it? Because I I don't know if you've experienced this. I don't know if you drink wine, but I would like go to bars or go to restaurants and they wouldn't have wine or it would take them so long to get it to me. And I started feeling like, oh my gosh, stop asking about what kind of beers are on tap. Let's get me a (laughs) glass of wine already. You know what I mean? And so I didn't like that. I didn't like any kind of external dependence. So, um, I have to tell you this too. When I quit drinking, I feel like my life exploded. I think that was like my last, um, what we call buffering in in our terminology. That was like my last thing that I did to buffer my emotion. And when I started like being willing to experience whatever was true for me, including the contrast of negative emotion and just letting it be there without a negative opinion about it, then I just started setting bigger goals and going towards all of those emotions that always seem to come along with the the bigger things that I want for myself. So, um, it was a great decision for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I may be there pretty quick myself. Mm. Um, yeah. So you've mentioned a couple of times also, one of the other things that it seems like has influenced or, um, I don't know, it, it been part of your growth and transformation are mentors like Amy and Dan that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ha- have you always had a coach? I mean, has that been a part of the journey and you recommend that for all people or? Um, first, yes, I always recommend everybody have a coach. Come on. Like (laughs) I feel like we hire people to like wash our cars and clean our houses. Why not someone to help us with our brains is the most (laughs) important tool we have. Yeah. Right. And we don't have someone. So yes, absolutely. So having a coach, I don't care how evolved you are, how educated you are, how good you are at any of this stuff, having someone else to help you look at your brain. It doesn't even matter how trained they are. Just someone that can look at your brain with you is a absolute must, I think. And, um, I've had lots of teachers and trainers that I never met personally that I study. And I think that's also important, but I don't think it's as effective as having a coach and someone that can help you at least once a week be preventative with your mind and clean out what's going on in there. So, um, yes, I highly recommend always, always having a coach. Yeah. And I'm, how, how have you chosen yours? Like I'm, I'm in the process of maybe ending with one and then I'm going to give it some time. And yeah. when I look for another one, what did you look for in your coaches to make sure that you were getting the maximum juice for, you know, your work and business and life? Yeah. Good question. I, um, for me, it's always been like what I most want to focus on right now And, um, so when I hired my business coach was when I really, I hired Frank Kern, I really wanted to, um, go to a million dollars. And at the time I was making about 300,000 and I told him, um, it was funny. I had, he said, why are you here? And I said, I want to make a million dollars. I said, I want to make a lot of money. And he said, how much money? And I said, a million dollars. And he said, oh, well, that's a good start. Huh? And I remember thinking like, what? That's like the end all be all. What do you mean? It's a good start. And so he was the perfect one for me because he just thought the way he thinks about money 
um, was the opposite of how I had been thinking about it. So he really helped me change my perspective as it applied mm-hmm. to earning money. And, you know, he's the one that really taught me how to provide value before you ever ask for anything. And, um, that was really powerful. So I chose him because I really wanted to blow my mind up around my perception of money. I like to find people who are where I want to be in terms of, um, business coaches. Okay. So I don't want to hire a business coach that isn't where I want to be. Um, in terms of someone just helping me with my mindset, I really just need someone who, um, especially me, I'm a really strong personality. So I need someone that isn't afraid to tell me the truth. And so I need someone super strong in that area. And so I always look for someone that's just going to be like, listen, I know you think you know everything, but you don't. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm actually very coachable when, when someone's like that, I'm like, okay, tell me, tell me everything, tell me the truth. And, and then I can really grow from that place. So I've always looked for a really strong, um, for me, I like having a, a woman co a woman who is a coach to help me work on my mind and somebody that understands my self coaching model. Cause I always coach myself from within that construct. Yes. Yes. And I, gosh, I'm looking at our time. I'm like, oh, I want to get into the self coaching model, but I also want to make sure that we touch on, um, Um, for folks that are listening today and are like, wow, I want what she's having. I want to learn how to be a coach from her. I want to join her self-coaching scholars. Do you mind just, um, I've got, you know, the logistics here, the lifecoachschool.com is the website. Um, so do you mind sharing about a little bit about what you've got going on in case people want to connect with you after the show? Sure. Sure. So I do two things and two things only. And that's another tip for all of you guys who are trying to grow your business bigger. Don't do too many things. Yeah. I do two things. I coach clients and I train coaches. That's what I do. So if you're a client and you want to come and learn our self-coaching model and go through our process and learn all my tools that I've been creating for the past 15 years, you come to the Life Coach School and you join Self-Coaching Scholars. I personally think it is the most robust coaching program for the money anywhere. And then if you want to become a coach, then you come to lifecoachschool.com and you join and sign up for our certification program where we take you through the process of learning the tools of how to coach other people and to make your living being a life coach. So those are the two main things that we do. And, you know, teaching the um, life coach model, the self-coaching model (laughs) on an interview is really challenging anyway. So I appreciate you (laughs) wanting to do that. But I highly recommend like if you go to the Life Coach School podcast and you go to some of those early ones, I really break down the model. And um, if you've never experienced it, you must. It's totally free. Lifecoachschool.com. Go to the one called the model and just expose yourself to that construct. It's not (laughs) something I invented or made up. I just invented a way of looking at it that I think makes sense for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't emphasize highly enough, you guys, um, you know, I talk about on the show, my emotional speed dial list or my vibrational speed dial list and Brooks, uh, podcast is on that top three list right now. Um, to, Mm. you know, if you're waking up and you're not feeling inspired or you need to get back in alignment, her podcast is a good way to do it. So it's the Life Coach School podcast, and I listen on iTunes, and I'm sure there are various other ways you can listen if you don't have an iPhone, Brooke, right? What? <laughs> you have to have an iPhone. You Come have on, to have people. an iPhone. <laughs> okay. You, I'm... You, can, you can access the podcast, too, by just going to lifecoachschool.com. We have, we have them all listed, and we have a player there as well. Yeah. Well, okay, so we've got just a few minutes left here, Brooke, and I wanted to ask you, you know, people are listening to this and they're going, oh my gosh, look at what she's done and she's moving toward $100 million in her business and wow, she must just have it all figured out. And I'm curious, you know, where are you experiencing, do you still experience doubts, resistance, anxiety and those kind of things? And if so, what do you do? Oh, just every day. (laughs) 
<laughs> Every day I wake up, got a lot of anxiety. I'm like, oh, there you are again. It's so good. This is what I tell everyone. I tell everyone that, and this is really true, and I'm not just saying this, because I used to think people would say this, and it would be really annoying. Easy for you to say is what I'd always think in my mind. But it is not better there than it is here. So I know for sure that me making $10 million now isn't better as than it was making 1 million. It's just different. I always say there's always 50, 50, right? There's always complete contrast, positive and negative. It's just a different flavor of each one. And here's why I still, I of course always still struggle with the 50, 50, because I always underneath think I'm going to get to a point where it's all going to be positive a hundred percent of the time. And what I realize is it doesn't matter what I accomplish. You know, I've accomplished so much in my life and not just financially and in my business, but also, you know, giving up drinking, giving up overeating, really establishing, um, boundaries and unconditional love in my relationships. And still, I'm still human. It's still 50, 50. And I, I still have to work on myself every single day. And Instead of being upset about that, I now think it's the privilege of being human to be able to be in this experience of total contrast. And, you know, just to like bring it all the way back to Abraham, I love that they talk about, you know, when we die, it's all just pure positive energy yeah. and it's boring. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you're in pure positive energy with no contrast. So you don't even know you have pure positive energy, right? right. It's like you don't even, if you've never been hungry, you don't even know what it's like to be full. And so I love thinking about that. I, I used to imagine it's like going to a casino and just winning all the time, but money doesn't matter. That's what it's like to be in pure positive energy. So the yeah. contrast is what makes it even more delicious. So yeah, yeah, I still, I still struggle and I still work on it. It's totally worth it. Yeah, Anita Morjani talks a lot about that, having been to the other side and back. She's like, this is why we're human, to experience the full spectrum, because we don't get to do it when we're on the other side of the veil. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So good. Well, we are, we're right at the end of the hour. Um, and Brooke, I just want to thank you so much for having been my guest today. This has been a long time in coming, and it's just so fun to have you on. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I've loved being here. Absolutely. Is there a final message you'd like to leave our listeners with as we sign off today? Yes. I think it's really important. I think we've talked a lot about my accomplishment today here and, and you've talked about, you know, kind of mm -hmm. what you've done. And I just want everyone to know that no matter where you are right now is the perfect place for you to be and focusing on what you want as someone who already has it is the secret to getting it. Mm. So that that's my little like Confucius. <laughs> note at the end, I guess. My little uh, fortune cookie. <laughs> yes. And if you want to actually understand that even further, I'm telling you guys, listen to the Life Coach School podcast and you will find yes. out more. Thank you all for joining us today. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. You're listening to Sunny in Seattle. I've been joined by Brooke Castillo. The website is thelifecoachschool.com. And I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brooke Castillo. I know I really enjoyed speaking with her. So you may notice that we're not quite to the end of the hour yet. And uh, when we pre-recorded this show, we had some technical difficulties on our end, not having anything to do with Brooke. Um, and it just meant that we had a little bit less time with Brooke than we normally have with our other guests. And so I was thinking, well, what am I going to do to fill in the rest of our hour? And so Brooke, um, as I mentioned on the show, has an amazing podcast that I highly recommend called the Life Coach School Podcast. And 
what she does periodically on that show is do a little feature called Lessons Learned From, and she will fill in the blank with a teacher or a mentor of some sort that um, that has been impactful in her life. And so she has lessons learned from Amy Porterfield and lessons learned from Abraham Hicks and so on. And so I thought what I would do for our final time together is to tell you some of the lessons that I have learned from Brooke. And some of these things we touched on, but we really didn't get into, especially as it applies to my life and how I think it may apply, might apply to your life as well. So when we come back from our break, I am going to share with you some of my lessons learned from Brooke Castillo. You are listening to Sunny in Seattle. We will be back in just a few. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story, and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available for pre-order today on Amazon.com. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. The following is made possible by Dad. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling all over it. (laughs) The Dad Joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. Why do you have to be careful when it's raining cats and dogs? Because you might step in a poodle. (laughs) And kids that spend more time with their dads grow up to be smarter, more successful. Can I tell you a cat joke? Just kidding. (laughs) And with any luck, funnier adults. Why didn't the skeleton go to the dance? Because he didn't have anybody to go with. Dad jokes rule. So take a moment to make a moment and give your kid a laugh. (laughs) It's as easy as going to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. (laughs) That's really funny. Notice anything different? You should. There's no other station like Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. Um, And as I mentioned uh, right before the break, we are going to do a a unique little segment here that I haven't done before um, that is basically um, taking something that Brooke Castillo does on her podcast, um, which is sharing lessons she's learned from particular teachers and mentors. So for this final segment, I want to share with you guys some lessons that I have learned from Brooke Castillo. And I've got a couple here that I want to share with you. So Brooke talks a lot about false pleasures. Um, And false pleasure is basically anything that has been concentrated to give your brain a false sense of pleasure. It's not a naturally occurring pleasure. So examples that she uses are flour, sugar, 
heroin, cocaine, cigarettes. Um, and I love how she has flour in there, right, with cocaine and, and cigarettes and all that good stuff. Um, but really, these things all have these same effects in the body, um, meaning that we've concentrated it so that it has an explosion of chemicals in the brain. And it basically makes your brain think that something is happening that is, um, as she puts it, much more exciting or much more important than it really is. Um, and I can definitely attest to that, having used a lot of these substances myself. Um, so basically, you, there's false pleasures, and then you've got sustaining pleasures. And sustaining pleasures would be things that that bring you pleasure um, that um, don't have negative consequences. Things like, you know, walking in nature, um, taking a yoga class, and having those beautiful hits of dopamine that, that come from um, being healthy and active. Um, and you can think of some other things that you could fill in the blank there. Um, taking an Epsom salt bath might be a sustaining pleasure. Um, and so basically, a lot of folks use false pleasures to do what Brooke calls buffering. Um, buffering being using a false pleasure basically as an escape from your emotional life. And so you guys know, if you listen to the show regularly, that I've talked a lot about um, my the, for the first couple of years of my coaching practice when things were really, really tough, and still sometimes today when they are, I tend to go for food. Um, I'm an emotional eater. And so eating um, large amounts of, you know, mac and cheese and chips and potatoes and things or uh, cookies on a Friday night after a long week is a way of buffering because I don't want to feel the stress, the overwhelm, the anxiety that came from this tough week. Um, and so it's been really interesting um, to, as I go through this SIBO journey that I've been on for the past, gosh, now six weeks. So SIBO being small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, it just basically means that the bad bacteria in your gut is way out of whack and it causes all kinds of not fun symptoms. It's not healthy. Um, and, and basically, you know, your neurochemistry is affected because a lot of our neurochemicals are uh, manufactured in our gut. Our immune system is based in our gut. So many things are affected by this. So having a healthy gut biome is incredibly important. And I'm committed to that. But that means that for the past six weeks, I have had no caffeine, no alcohol, no flour or grains of any sort, no dairy, um, no sugar, of course. Um, uh, let's see what else. Uh, and so many other things, you know, that were really a part of my day-to-day -day life and especially my buffering, the alcohol, the grains, the sugar, heck yeah. So this has been a really interesting um, time to take some of Brooke's lessons and apply them. And she talks about this, this concept of net pleasure. Um, this was in an episode she did on hedonism, which I think is really interesting. Um, if you guys want to listen to it, just search for hedonism among her um, uh, among her episodes. Um, I don't have the episode number handy. But in any event, net pleasure is basically the ultimate pleasure you get from doing something minus the suffering. So take, for example, my emotional eating on a Friday night after a hard week. I get the immediate hit of good feeling from stuffing my face full of mac and cheese and eating cookies after it, but there is suffering that comes after it. I don't sleep well. My body is can't digest all this awful stuff, I, um, and it's 
Um, then you've got the sugar high and then the sugar crash. And then I get up and I feel bloated. And then I know that I haven't contributed to my ideal weight. Those are not foods that contribute to ideal weight. And there's just like the mental anguish that comes the next day after a binge. So that's the suffering. So you've got so net pleasure is basically the ultimate pleasure minus the suffering. And I will tell you that the suffering of an emotional binge eating or over drinking on a Friday night after a hard week, that suffering far outweighs the ultimate pleasure. So I would turn it back on you and and ask, you know, where where are you buffering? Where are you using those false pleasures? And what is the net pleasure that's actually coming from these activities that you have? It could be shopping. It could be gambling. It could be smoking. It could be, you know, all of the usual suspects. Or it could be spending too much time on Netflix, uh, spending too much time on social media. And really the way to know, the way that Brooke describes it, the way to know if it's a false pleasure is is whether or not it, it – it's really unique to you. So it's defined by you as the person. So, um, and being honest about what the negative consequences are for you. So I know that there are times when I have used marijuana as a sleep aid very sparingly, but there are times when it becomes more excessive. And I notice, I know I'm using it as buffering. I can say it's for sleep, but I know that it's for buffering. It is a false pleasure. And the negative consequence that comes with it far outweighs the good that comes from it. My net pleasure from that is not worth it. Um, So the other thing I've noticed um, is, and this is something Brooke has stopped drinking entirely. Um, She used to teach a course on stopping over drinking, stopping overeating. And she still teaches these things in her, um, in her master's class, I believe. Um, But, but basically in her own life, she has stopped drinking entirely. And I thought that was an interesting decision. But what she has found is that the ultimate pleasure comes from well-being, which is basically earned. Uh, you know, you have to get over giving up alcohol entirely, going to cocktail parties and not drinking, or giving up flour and sugar entirely. Um, and there's some delayed gratification there in, in really getting to well-being as the ultimate pleasure. Um, and But when you get to that sense of well-being, you're at your ideal body weight or you feel good, that well-being my gosh, there are no negative consequences there. The net pleasure is all good. And so I will tell you from my personal experience now with the SIBO, I have had six weeks without any of these substances that I really, in a lot of ways, were depending on and I thought that I needed to get through my week and my day. Caffeine, the alcohol on the weekends, the the treat of the sugar and the carbs. But having not had that, I used to crash on Friday nights. It was like a freight train coming to a stop after a hard week. And then I would um, perhaps overeat or overdrink or just really not treat my body well over the weekend. And it was like starting a freight train from the very beginning again from a complete stop. Having these six weeks without this stuff, you guys, my inspiration and my energy is constant. I feel so inspired and connected to source, connected to my work, connected to my clients in a way that I was not before. So um, I would just invite you, what false pleasures are you using to buffer? And what is the net pleasure that's really coming from using those? And you may find, as I did, that while the well-being feeling that we have from being, uh, you know, not using those false pleasures is perhaps a delayed gratification, oh my gosh, you guys, it is so worth it. Um, And so we have just a couple more minutes here. And goodness, I had several of these lessons learned, several more that I wanted to share with you. But I'll just do 
Um, one more of these um, that I think is really important. So I talk a lot about my emotional speed dial, and this is this. These are sources that I use to get my vibration higher when I am in a um, not a great state. You know, to start my Monday morning if I'm not feeling inspired, if I've had a rough day in the middle of the week, how do I get back up and going? And so I use things like um, listening to my favorite channeled entities, you know, Abraham Hicks or Cryon. I love Mike Dooley's Hay House radio pot or, uh, radio show. Um, and there are some others that I use. Quite frankly, Brooke Castillo's podcast is on there for me as well. And what I found, that's one way to get into alignment and to feel, as Abraham puts it, tapped in, tuned in, turned on. But Brooke really, she is an expert in managing the mind. And I really think it's interesting because by asking important questions, good questions, we can really shift how our mind is working for us. So your brain goes working, goes to work searching for the answers to the questions you give it. So really, look at the questions you are asking. So instead of starting your day by saying, why is my life so hard? That automatically has a negative belief built into it. So instead of asking that question... Ask the question, how can I be happier today? And you know what? Your mind is going to go to work looking for that answer. That's the answer you want to be finding, um, not the one to the negative question. And along those lines, you may ask a hard question like, how can I be happier? And you may think, I don't know. But here's another thing that Brooke says that I think is just phenomenal. And I've tippy-toed around this in my coaching practice, but she just flat out says it. So basically, I don't know, saying you don't know blocks the answer, blocks your inner wisdom. So you're basically blocking yourself from your own inner wisdom when you say, I don't know. And Brooke says very, very, I heard her say this on a podcast, The Lively Show. If you want to hear her on another podcast, I love her episode. She's done with Jess Lively on The Lively Show. But Brooke just flat out said, confusion is a lie, (laughs) We always have our own answers, and we block them by telling ourselves we don't know. So as soon as you say, I don't know, you block yourself from your own wisdom. So I just would challenge you, you know, what are the questions that you've been asking? And instead of saying, you know, why can't I lose weight? Ask, how can I lose weight in an easy and effortless way? Put your mind to work. You know, our minds, a wonderful servant, terrible master. So put it to work on the questions that you want to be answering that will impact your life in a positive way. So that's all we had time for to share for lessons learned from Brooke Castillo. I've learned many more lessons than that. But thank you guys so much for joining me today, uh, not only as I interviewed Brooke, for, but also as I shared some of the things that I've learned from her. You've been listening to Sunny in Seattle. Have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs>